sort of appropriate that in private moments and in like this public or congregational settings that we individually and even collectively like this just now we say oh God here's our individual hearts one at a time here's our collective congregational heart would you speak to us about me would you speak to us about us not because we're in some great tragic crisis although some may be not because we've, we've fallen deeper into self and rebellion than we ever have before although some may be in that precise circumstance God we need to get still and quiet and surrendered before you routinely not just in those shameful crisis moments but daily we quote the scripture verses and those that we know and see on coffee cups and plaques in our homes and, and, and we, we say those things to ourselves and then go about life as we typically would but it's in these quiet still moments that we are faced with the reality that we say those things like I can do all things through Christ as he strengthens me and yet we feel so weak, inept, <coughs> even unwilling. So as much as we know a few verses and, and quote them and recite them to ourselves and our minds, my heart is full of doubt and fear, confusion, anxiety, perhaps even discontentment with you, God. We don't understand you. We don't like what you did. We get a little attitude going. Help us to be honest with ourselves, about ourselves, with ourselves, and to you. Here's my heart. All the stuff that's in it. The good things, the not-so-good things, the very wicked things. Here's my heart. And would you speak to us your truth to everything? Not that we surrender, because there's some stuff we just keep trying to hide. Would you speak truth to everything you see in our hearts? Everything. For our benefit. For our own freedom. For your glory. Speak to us, God, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to, in a kind of sarcastic way, encourage you to pay attention here. You might see a miracle today. In the printed notes, there is, in essence, three whole sermons. My goal is to cover all three of them with you in, in this allotted amount of time. Here we go. We have uh, literally a, a solid hour. I want to give you three 15-minute sermons, 
and then take the last 15 minutes to make some application. Uh, this is a daunting task. We'll see how we do. We start uh, this morning in Luke chapter 9. This is the fourth installment in five weeks on discipleship. We have talked about, and you see the uh, this, I hope all of you have one of these, this uh, kind of a funnel diagram, and it's broken down in more detail on the other side, the back side, front side, however you call that. We've talked about congregational discipleship, and there's truth to that. We've talked about missional, that we're, we're encouraging one another to stay on mission. What's our job? Let's, let's make some teams. Let's, let's put some groups together. Our job is to manage this part of the church life. Our job is to, to manage this part of church life. But let's, let's disciple one another on, on our particular mission. We'll have time to cover that in the end. Last week we turned the corner on, on what most of us think of when we think of discipleship. We often don't think of the first two levels, but they exist. And they're there by God's design intentionally. Last week, Pastor Jose did a marvelous job of helping us understand these last three categories that's more familiar to us that we get in not congregational size or even representing the whole congregation. We get in smaller groups. So the first level is Jesus speaking to the masses, the crowds, like the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus sent 72 on a mission to spread the gospel. They came back and they they reevaluated. Last week was dealing with just the twelve. This week he moves from the twelve to just three: Peter and James and John. And we'll finish next week. But sometimes it's just you and God. All of that's discipleship. I want to give you three pictures of just Peter, James, and John. The first one. It's here in the Gospel of Luke, we're in chapter 9. And verse 28 simply says this. It's eight days after these sayings, things done previously, he's talking about moving towards what we call the transfiguration, that Jesus changes his image from the earthly to the heavenly. So it was previous, verse 28, he took with them Peter, James, John, they went up to the mountain to pray. Notice that these three were handpicked. He invited them. He commanded them. Whatever word you want to use, he took them and said, Hey, fellas, come with me. And he said it to those three. Whatever he said. The other nine were invited. Does that mean he loves them more? I don't think so. I don't think so. In fact, I'm absolutely certain he does not love them. Does, does Jesus love, who's your favorite Christian in, in the 20th, 20th? Does Jesus love Billy Graham more than he loves you? I don't think so. I, I don't believe that for a moment. So why would he do this? That is a great question. And I want you to just sit for a while. And we'll see if we can get some conclusions at the end. He takes with him just Peter, James, and John. But he's pulling us into some level of intimacy. He may do that with other three at other times, but right now it's these three. Verse 29. He was praying, and the appearance of his face is altered. So Jesus is now praying. He's alone, 
on this mountain with Peter and James and John, and his physical image is changing. His clothing became dazzling white. And there's two people talking with Jesus. It's Moses and Elijah, who had been dead a long time. They appear, Moses and Elijah, they appear in glory, this radiant light. And they spoke of Jesus' departure. We'll come back to that. Which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Not far, not long, crucifixion, resurrection, and departure. Not long till that's going to happen. Now the previous verse, 28, he takes, he takes Peter, James, and John, but now the scene is they're praying. Most of Elijah there, it's 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 weird. It's misty, it's 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 foggy, it's it's the light is shifting, his face is changing, his his robe is brilliant like blinding white. And how how do those three know what Moses and Elijah look like? Yeah, true. But they knew it was Moses and Elijah. This glory. And the three of them, Jesus and Moses and Elijah, are having this conversation about death, burial, and resurrection. His departure. <laughs> Our three brothers are watching this thing. This doesn't happen every day. Never been in a situation like this before. Next scene. Next spring verse, verse 32. This is fascinating. So you've got the picture in your mind. Look at 32. Peter and those who were with them were heavy with sleep. Those that were with them were clearly James and John. And then they became fully awake. So, so what we know that they saw was, am I dreaming? Am, am I asleep? Am I awake? What, what, what's, what's going on here? But when they came fully awake, fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men that were with him. Moses and Elijah. Something happens to us when we're in the presence of God yeah. in an intimate level we're not distracted. It's not a congregational scene, and and you're wondering when I put this article of clothing on, male or female, this morning, this didn't fit, and there was a wrinkle. Is anyone paying attention? Did the rest of the church see that? <laughs> Somehow, in this kind of setting, when you're away from the crowd and you're on the mountaintop, that's why we call these things mountaintop experiences, or whatever your geography is, all of a sudden all that stuff doesn't matter. God is speaking a profound theme, whatever it is. And all the other typical fleshly, human, cultural stuff and you're snapped out of our laziness, our fogginess. We're fully awake. And nothing matters but what is happening right before me. I find it significant, even profound, 
that the thing they were talking about, they could have been talking about anything. But the thing they were talking about is a thing that we all wonder about. In the 21st century, in the 1st century, they were talking about his departure. And what are the apostles and other disciples always asking Jesus? How long till the end? And what's it going to look like? And, 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 and exactly where and how and what and when? Because we want those answers. Where and how and what and when and who? And they were wondering about it and they asked Jesus about it in the first century of the Scriptures. And in our world, oh my goodness, books are written, movies are made, discussion on on, on podcasts, it's, it's unending. And there's 10,000 theories, four or five main ones, but variations of all of those. There's all kinds of theories. You start wearing a label, well, I'm not that, I'm a this. I believe this, I don't believe that, I believe this. Well, I believe some of that, but I believe some of this, and I got my own. And on and on and on it goes. And Jesus pulls these three. Why doesn't he pull all twelve? Why doesn't he pull the multitudes into this? And my point is, I suspect that he does two or three or four at a time. Because some things aren't academically learned. They're relationally revealed. And God says, I, I, I don't want to just talk to your mind. You need to catch something about my essence. And he lets us see as best we might in our flesh his deity. People who are atheistic and agnostic, this is not a cheap shot. This is not an attack from a, a Christian pulpit. They question the validity of the scriptures, the existence of God. Oh, I'm, I'm not offended by that, and I don't, don't hate them. But you can't hate or reject or renounce or, or denounce something that you've never known intimately. And I think churches are filled with people who say, I believe, but... They've never had some encounter, whether it's visually, academically, or emotionally, spiritually, where, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this is real. This is real. And I thank God in His mercy. Three here, three there, two or four here, six or seven here. And God is frequently, routinely, at all times saying, why don't you come with me? And then, why, why don't you come with me? Yeah. And why, why don't you come with me? Yeah. And he begins to open our eyes. And we understand things like we've never understood them before. Not because we had some, some amazing experience, my spine tingled, I'll never be the same. But because of a whole bunch of stuff that I knew, instead I believed. Oh, now. Oh, it's been confirmed. Not because they got answers about eschatology, study of the end times. Not because they got detailed explanation on how it's going to happen. And all their who, what, when, how, and where. All, all that. Not because that's answered, but because, oh my goodness, God 
opened my eyes to some things. When they were fully awake, they saw his glory. And they said, they, they, that's Moses and Elijah. How they know that? <coughs> this is profound. The last section here, one more screen, 30 on down here. They were parting from him. Peter said, it's a good thing we're here. <laughs> so it was, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was spiritual. It was holy. It was, it was, it was glorious. And then Peter puts his foot in his mouth like I and all of us do. And we're here. Let's make three tents. One for you. One for Moses. One for Elijah. And I love what Luke tells us here. Gospel Mark says exactly the same thing. Peter didn't have a clue what he was saying. <laughs> he did not know what he was saying. Well, he knew the words. He knew what he was saying. He didn't have any idea about the foolishness of what he was saying. Tremendous revelation. An honorable request. Come with me. I'm going to show you some stuff, man. And it happens. They kind of sober up. Fully awake. Oh, it's a good thing we're here because, you know, we, 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 we can do stuff. We, we can do stuff. And we Christians, we like to do stuff. Yeah. We put on events. And we write books and we write songs and we gather and we do stuff and we raise money and we do good stuff with money. I'm not mocking any of that. But we like to do stuff. And stuff needs to be done. I'm glad the stuff gets done. But doing stuff is not the same as sitting at his feet and absorbing his presence, his essence. And our eyes are open. Jesus spoke to crowds. But some things are not for the crowd. Great things happen in crowds. Miracles were done. Boy had his fish, boy had his lunch, he fed the whole multitude. Pretty impressive. Wouldn't forget that. But some things don't happen in the crowds. Some things happen with just a couple of brothers, a couple of sisters, and God alone. And even then, we get stupid and say, oh, it's a good thing now. I know we're going to do this. <laughs> we don't have a clue what we're saying. And then the whole thing finishes up. The next few verses, 34. And saying these things, which you should not have been, you know, What do you think? You've got to wreck every moment, don't you, Peter? <laughs> Pastor Dave. The cloud came over Overshadowed them. They were, what is happening? What is happening? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. A voice came out of the saying, This is my son. I chose the one. Listen to him. This is the old phrase. This is why God gave us two ears and one mouth. Yeah. Yeah. We always offering our advice, our solution, our insight. I went to seminary. I read a book. I heard this guy say, you just need to hear what, what, it's a good thing we're here. We know what to do. We know what to say. And God says, okay, Peter. And he brings this presence of God, this, this, this 
natural atmosphere of, of cloud and something holy is this doesn't happen every day. This isn't typical air. This, this, this is different. The voice came. This is my son. My translation, shut your mouth and listen to him. This is my son. My chosen one. My chosen one. 30 seconds, my voice is spoken. Jesus was alone. Here's the takeaway. Peter, James, and John, they kept silent. They kept. Look, I've been in some wonderful spiritual experiences, and I couldn't wait to talk about it and and and, and write letters and and I, I don't do Facebook, but however you communicate and tell all oh, you guys, you should have been. This was amazing. I mean, there's a few, there's a few experiences. I don't talk about them much. Number one, when I do, I just start weeping. Number two, I, I don't know how to explain what happened. It's almost inexplicable. Words fail me. It was so otherworldly. They kept silent. And they told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Maybe later, but those days... not because they were ashamed. It's not because it was... Oh, how, how do I describe this? We saw Jesus like we've never seen Jesus before. We knew who Moses and Elijah were. How that? Opened my mouth and I realized I shouldn't have. He put me in my place and I think I'm going to stay in that place for a long time. You know when those things happen to me the most? I've had some wonderful... Wonderful, massive. I, I have some great experiences of promise keepers events, by the way, as an illustration. I'm not telling you God doesn't do amazing stuff in massive congregational levels, because He does. And I've been there for some of them. I've been in congreg uh, the church worship services in, in this building and other buildings, and God was there, and, and I was just impacted profoundly. But the ones that are less emotional and way more spiritual are these. I don't have to talk about them. But they've changed my life. They tend to happen in these smaller groups. Second illustration. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, same three fellows. Here we go. Mark chapter 10. We start in verse 35. It's James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up there. I'm sorry, it's just two. This is just the two brothers. Peter's not here. This time it's just two. They say, teacher, we want you to do something for us. Whatever we ask. <laughs> it's really silly. Because I remember doing that as a little kid. I remember my kids coming with their little kid. Daddy, daddy, daddy. We want you to do something. But just say yes before you tell, we tell you what it is. <laughs> He says in verse 36, what is it you want me to do? They say, grant us to sit one on your right hand, one on the other, uh, and the other on the left, in your glory, in heaven, in eternity. We're, we're looking for privileged positions. 
We're working for a seat not close to, but the closest to you. When you're on your throne, we want to be right there, left and right. Me and my Fisher brother. But we love you, Jesus, and we know you love us. Now maybe they would couch their request. It's not because we think we're better than those other apostles. No, no, no. I'm assuming they may have thought or said We would never think that. It's because we know you love us and we love you. So how, what do you think? Do we do that? And here we go. Jesus said, you don't have any idea what you're asking. You don't have any idea what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? He baptized with baptism, baptized with? Yeah, I, I am the Savior of the world. You want to be close to me? I understand that. Do you understand the burden, the weight, the responsibility of being the Savior of the world? You want to share that too? You want to be with me? You want to be close to me? Do you, do you know what I'm dealing with? And the Bible says stuff like he hears the prayers of all people who pray. And it doesn't say only committed believers. When pagans and reprobates and atheists say, Oh God, help me! Kind of interesting when atheists say that. God hears their prayers. God hears their prayers. And in his wise purposes, he responds how he responds. Thank you, what God hears every day, all day long. And, and people have made mockery jokes and movies about that, but think about it on a legitimate, real way. We're not interested in all of that. I just want to be next to Jesus in heaven. Hey, how you like me now? So that's going on. That's that's going on here. Verse 39. So they said, oh yes, yes, we can bear that. Yes, yes. Because we always, hear me. Oh, I just sound like Mary Parker. Hear me, hear me. <laughs> oh, God help me. <laughs> we always overestimate our faithfulness. We always overestimate our faithfulness. Oh, we are able. Jesus said, well, you know what? Here's the truth. The cup that I drink, you will drink. You will. The baptism of which I'm baptized, you'll be baptized. But, but, sit at my right hand, my left. That's not my decision. That's the Father's fault. Is for those to whom it has been prepared. God's already satisfied that, settled that. And He gives them the. He's not ducking their question. You think Jesus ducks any question? He's making clear that, look, I am subject to our Father. You better learn to be subject to Him too. And then 41, when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant with James and John. Well, is anyone surprised by that? Hey, hey, hey! What about us? <laughs> my, 
my point here, let's do a quick review and, and then we'll move on to the third illustration. Third scene. Why, 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 why did this happen with only two? Why, 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 well, everyone else was there, but they were drawn into it after this little, hey, Jesus. <laughs> Me and you, the three of us, what do you think? And when the other nine figured, hey, hey, what, 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 what's going on here? Back, back to the first illustration when Jesus changes his image and, and they're profoundly impacted to the point of silence. Those things happen usually in very small settings. But the exact opposite also happens in very small settings. If someone will put their foot in their mouth, and the other people will maybe say, oh, let, let us, let, we can give you some scripture and encourage you to do this, but usually it's, it's before you get to that real nice Christian, let me find some scripture to encourage you. Hey, hey, what makes you think you're not making you closer and more into with God than me? You just exposed us. No, we're going to talk about this. They got indignant. When we gather on the Lord's Day with our massive crowd here, And no one gets mad because we're nice. And it's Sunday. We're in church. And we know how to do the show. We don't get envious. And we don't feel exposed. Because it's Sunday and we're in church. And we, we clean up. And we don't use street language. Because we're in church. And it's Sunday. And we're with God. But in a smaller group with Christians, and real life is being talked about and wrestled with, all of a sudden things hit the surface and, and, and you start listening and you're interpreting what you're hearing and that joker thinks he's closer to God than we are. He's jockeying for position. If he gets closer, that means I'm not asking. No, no, we ain't having this. Their indignation is at least two-sided, two dimensions. It's wait, wait a second. What makes you think you're you're deserving of that? And then well, maybe I'm deserving of that. Why you instead of me? And now they're. I should have called this before they did. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff that happens in I think. I've seen it with my own eyes and with my own ears and I've experienced it in my own emotions. These things happen in small groups. Somebody says, hey, wait, wait a second. And then you want to. But don't forget the first thing we saw, transfiguration, in small groups, God shows up in profound ways. In profound ways. And whether the group is two or three or four, if not literal silence, there's a spiritual silence that comes over and you man. Oh. This ain't no time for talking. This is the time for getting my face as close as I can to the rug. 
in the dust of the wood floor. God is here. I don't want to mess with this. Don't mess this up. Shut your mouth and listen. And that's what the voice from the cloud said in the first scene. This is my chosen one, my son. Stop talking. Listen to him. And then I've been in small group settings where it became clear that someone had an agenda and that agenda was going to diminish everyone else. And that had to be dealt with. Right. And it was a wonderful kiss and makeup time. Third scene is Matthew chapter 26. Another familiar scene is the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night before the crucifixion. Matthew 26, we start in verse 36. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, You guys wait there. You guys sit here. You guys sit here. I'm going to go over there. That's not a quarter mile away, but maybe they were in, in talking distance. Maybe they weren't. You sit here. I'm going to go over there and pray. And he takes with them over there. Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. So again, there's times. Does he love them more? No. No. There's, there's no way I think you can come to that conclusion. Not honestly dealing faithfully, fairly with the scriptures. You just couldn't go with that. It's the fact that there's no historical record that at other times he took a different three. You, you, just because there's no biblical record of it doesn't mean you could argue for that probability, at least possibility. It's my theory that sometimes he takes these three, and sometimes he takes these three, or four, or two, or something happens to us of a deeper level. That's the whole point of this funnel diagram. Next week, the ultimate. It's just me and God alone. And He can say anything. And I can say anything. So He takes these three. And he lets them see his brokenness, his humanity, his sorrow. He's not, I'm God and nothing bothers me. They're going to kill me and I don't care. Began to be sorrowful and not just sorrowful. He's troubled. I don't think that means he's afraid. I don't think that means he's got second thoughts. I don't think that means it. You know, I, I, I said yes to this. I'm not sure I really understand this. I, I'm going to set him up. He's troubled. They're going to beat me for a long time. Beating through the night into the next morning. The mockery, the slapping, the spitting. After the beating, he's emaciated. His back is, is, is open. Nerves are jumping. His flesh is ripped in shreds. Ribbons of flesh. 
And now they put a crown of thorns on his head and mocked him. <laughs> Some king you are. You don't think he was troubled? It's kind of a mild word for that picture I just in 15 seconds painted there. He's sorrowful. He's troubled in his flesh. Who wants to do this? So he says to the three, fellas, this is a hard day. It's a tough day at the office today, boys. My soul is very sorrowful. And to put it in language to the point of death, my sorrows want to kill me. Now that's that's euphemism. That's that's language communicating emotion. His sorrow is not what kills him. Our sin is what kills him. Don't miss this. Our sin is what kills him. The sorrow is in bearing our sin. I'm sorrowful. And I, I, life is, is even now in the garden. The beating hasn't even begun. And I'm beginning to feel, this is the whole idea that he's praying, his capillaries in his, in his, in his forehead are bursting, and he's bleeding just from the intensity of knowing what's about to happen. I'm sorrowful, even today. You guys sit here, but watch with me. We'll come back to the word watch in just a moment. Watch with me. We're going to look further. Now by himself. I wouldn't miss next Sunday if it's all possible that you be here. Jesus goes a little farther now by himself. He fell on his face and he prayed. And he said, Father, if, if we can do this any other way, let this way, this cup, this process, this method of atoning for sin, let it pass me. Nevertheless, human fleshly will is not the issue. Not as I will. As you will. I suspect they would have, Peter, James, and John would have heard that. Maybe not. I suspect that they did. Verse 40. He came to the disciples He didn't find them praying. He said, fellas, I'm, I'm, I'm in deep sorrow, even to the point of death. And they didn't say, hey, fellas, we got to pray. Jesus is counting on us. Come on, fellas, let's pray. Jesus prayed for him. He goes back and Joe is asleep. Is there a wife in the room who's ever come home and if whatever the circumstance, whatever the crisis, whatever the, 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 the anxiety,
anxiety, the, the problem, the pressure, whatever it is. And the husband says, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And, and finally says, honey, I'm watching the game. I'm not about to minimize your wife's frustration with whatever it was. But she wasn't paying for the sins of the world. And you got annoyed because she's watching the game. Whatever your annoyance was, it wasn't paying for the sins of the world. Or vice versa. The husband comes home, same scenario. The kids come from school crying, mad, fighting. We all think we have legitimate reasons. And we're annoyed when people don't understand our reasons and sympathize and suffer with us. All of us are guilty of that. Be it legitimate or not so. Jesus is saying to these three, fellas, pray with me. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. And he comes back and Job's asleep. We're not sleeping when our lives are in trouble. God, you gotta help me! Yeah. Oh, Jesus, please! Yeah. And we remind him how faithful we've been. And he should help us. Yeah. And we always overestimate our faith. So Jesus says to Peter, You couldn't watch an hour? So maybe he, he was alone an hour. Maybe. You couldn't watch me an hour. Here comes 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Word watch. It's in this case inseparable from the word pray, but it is distinct in the sense that this is spiritual war. This is spiritual battle. And Jesus knows that. He's already engaging in it. This, by the way, if you're looking for weird little things that I believe, I'll volunteer this one. I don't get all worked up every every Good Friday Easter season when, you know, the, the crucifixion, it had to happen on, and, and it, it was the Wednesday, it was the Thursday, it could have been Friday. Three days and three nights in the grave. Here's how I process all of that confusion. I, I think the suffering didn't begin on the cross. I think the suffering begins in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before, which gives us um, three days. That's me. You worked that out of the water. It doesn't really mean that much to me. Okay, fine. Take that position if you choose. The suffering is beginning with he's praying, he's bleeding from his brow. The agony is setting in. He's sorrowful unto death. This is spiritual war. This is spiritual battle. Satan's got him in a headlock. Satan thinks he's about to win. What he doesn't know is that Jesus has volunteered himself. Jesus put his head in the headlock. Jesus volunteered. 
But he is saying to his disciples that he's poured himself into for three and a half years and held nothing back and gave all of himself to them. Fellas, pray with me! And they're sweet. We all get mad when our brothers and sisters in this congregation, even others, we think they've gone to sleep on us. We seldom wonder if we've gone to sleep on them. Spirit is willing. Problem is the flesh. Flesh is very weak. In fact, the flesh is so weak that's why we keep going back to the old sin. I hate that sin. You run right back to it. We think our our our, our flesh is, is strong. Uh, it's only strong in pursuit of sin. My flesh has zero interests of things of God. My flesh, your flesh, has zero interest in things of God. My spirit is all is all in Jesus. My flesh has zero interest in Jesus. Right. And there's an ongoing war within me between my spirit and my flesh. Paul deals with this thoroughly in the book of Romans. But it's all over the Bible, even the Old Testament. This huge battle between my spirit and my flesh. The spirit wants to pray, wants to obey, wants to worship, loves to sit at Jesus' feet. All night, not sleep. The flesh, forget not so much. The flesh, not at all. Not at all. 42 for the second time, he goes back and he's praying. You will be done. You will be done. He goes back. Here's this next round, 43. He came again, found him sleepy. Eyes are heavy in the middle of the night. Ask yourself this brief question. We're going to move on. Ask yourself this brief question. What do you stay up all night for? What, what do you change your schedule for? What, what will you rearrange your routine for? I'm not trying to be nasty. I'm, not, I'm really trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to let's be honest with ourselves here. We've all spent some sleepless nights in partying and craziness. <laughs> yeah, man! Get me! But to pray? Oh, I pray? Can you do that? Let's finish it. 44. So leaving them this second time, he went away, prayed the third time, said the same words, praying the same. It's not repeating, it's not repetitive, but, but in essence, it's the same. Father, 
this one's going to be fun. It goes another way, but, but your will be done. Your will be done. And we finally get to the close of 45. He came beside the second one. Fellas, you'll be able to sleep later on. We're in war. Satan, not just come up to me. He's going to get you too. Sleep and take the rest later on. The hour, and this is it. This is the moment. This is the crucial situation here. Son of man is betrayed in the hands of saints. Soldiers are coming. Judas got his 30 pieces of silver. Satan thinks he's having his way. I'm about to pay for your sins and pass the day of sins and the sins for all of, 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 of the world. I'm about to do that. This is that moment, fellas. This is that moment. And I was hoping you brothers break it. When people say Jesus is alone on the cross, he's the only one paid for our sins. Jesus was alone long before he got on the cross. When the intensity began to increase in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was already alone. And if we're learning anything, if the takeaway from here is, is anything, it's, it's this. That if you're in a small group in our wonderful church, with two sisters or two brothers and, and, and the three of you love each other and pray for one another. You got each other's back and, and you don't betray one another. Well, the time may come that while they don't hate you, they've not, in their estimation, abandoned you. They did fall asleep. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Next Sunday, Sunday. Final verse 46. All right, fellas, let's go. Let's go. I don't mean to minimize. I don't mean to weaken. I don't, I don't mean to turn Jesus' most crucial moment into street language, but we would say, I would say it like this. All right, fellas. Wake up. He may have said, let go do this. But what he knows is, come on, fellas. I'm going to go do this. Let's go. And by the time he gets to the cross, the only one you can find is John. The only apostle there was the best and the worst things happen in small groups of affinity and loyalty. The best things happen in two people in a marriage. I love you more than life. Until you did that, and now I'm leaving it. The just most beautiful moments of loyalty and the worst moments of betrayal. 
They happen in the closest of relationships. If you can play it safe and say, I don't ever want to be hurt like that, so I ain't getting close to anybody. I might marry them, but I ain't going to give them my heart. Spend their money. I ain't going to give them my body. I'm just going to protect myself. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus gave of himself to people he knew were going to go to sleep on him. Quick review, and, and, and we'll start to finish. The first scene at the Transfiguration, Peter and James and John, their eyes were open. They were enlightened. Oh, man, we're, we're, we're into something bigger than we knew. What? Moses, Elijah, and they're talking with Jesus. They're talking about what we... The end times is going to happen. Wow! And, and after they weighed in and, and they just they shut up and they didn't talk about it. Maybe ever. If it wasn't as much later, not much. They were profoundly impacted in that small group. Second scene is just two of them, and there's, their manipulation and greed was exposed. And I've had some enlightening moments in a group of fellows, and I've been exposed. And some other brothers got exposed in those same moments. But they were loved and restored, forgiven, encouraged, and strengthened. And this third illustration, the Garden of Gethsemane, the example is not from the three. It's from Jesus himself. And even when your closest network of support has not betrayed you intentionally, but they don't get it, they don't feel what you feel, they, they're not in your shoes, and, and they can't hang, and they fell asleep. Jesus kept moving towards the door. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He kept moving towards responsibility. He did the right thing. It's in small groups that we get enlightened. It's in small groups, more so than large ones, that we get exposed. That's why people avoid it. But it's also in the smallest of groups that we get the purest examples from Jesus, the examples of love. Now here's a crazy turn. This evangelism training, John Davis coming to give us over a little word. Two weeks? Next week, two weeks? What's the date? What is it? November 11th and 12th. Thank you. November 11th and 12th. That's what, two weeks? Does that make sense? Maybe three? Two? <laughs> the way the gospel is explained is so beautiful. It is 
Absolutely not a one, two, three, repeat after me, hallelujah, see in heaven. It is just this one continuous progressive picture from the Garden of Eden to the restoration of all things, new heaven and new earth. It is a beautiful, big, overarching presentation of the purposes of God in creating us and redeeming us after we were done. It is beautiful. It is not childlike, but it is very, very comprehensible. The materials are valuable and, and, and prolific. So if you want to go and get your own materials, give me your name today. I've got to turn in some names tomorrow. I didn't know that getting to turn in the names was this way. Give me your name and, and, and we'll settle $50 later. If you want to go and get the training yourself and get your own materials, then tell me today, and it's November, Friday, I don't know when the world starts, going to be the evening, the 11th, and then all day Saturday, November the 12th. 5.30. Thank you. Thank you, Moses. So we start at 5.30, and, and, and then all day Saturday, I say all day, be most of the day. I don't know what that schedule is. Do you know Saturday's schedule? From from the morning until like twelve thirty. Oh, so it's not all day. Twelve, one, whatever. It'll be a well spent fifty dollars. However, I don't want you to think that uh, I have to take fifty dollars from here. That no one's going to be left out. I can't guarantee that you'll get the same kind of materials. We'll reteach all that information here. So we'll have a number of people go, and, and, and a lot of us and will be teaching that in small groups, by the way. And we'll get the information disseminated. If you want to get your materials, please do. If that's prohibitive or you're just busy, okay. You'll be exposed to the information, and we'll see what we can do about materials. But the point is, back on track now, I think we should stop making a distinction between what people typically call evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism is, is telling people about Jesus and, and from the faith. Discipleship is helping them grow in their faith. How, how about we forget using words like evangelism and discipleship? How about we just use, and I'm not trying to be manipulative or, or take advantage of relationships, how about we just say, I'm sharing my life with my friends. And you know what's in my life? I'm happy that uh, you know the Philadelphia sports teams are on a roll. That's it. I'm crazy in love with my wife after 50 plus years. That's it. I'm having a lot of fun being a grandfather. That's it. I love seeing my adult children wrestle with the stuff that they put me through. Yeah. <laughs> kind of fun watching that? And seeing them navigate all those waters. That's it. I'm trying to figure out what 
when the Miami actually going to retire? What's that going to look like? And that's in my mind. There's all kinds of stuff that's in my life. And if you hang out with me and we go to dinner and we're, we're whatever we're doing, and you're asking me what's going on, I'll, I'll be courteous and give you a superficial answer. But you dig a little bit. All the stuff I just mentioned to you, that's what's going to come out. Because that's what's, that's what's in my life. That is my life. You know, it's a part of my life. Big part of my life is this one big overarching story about Jesus. So whether I'm talking to a friend who does not yet know Christ, I'll talk about the early parts of that story. And if it's someone that I know as a believer and, 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 and we share that in common, and there is, then we'll talk about something towards the middle or the end of that story. Someone said, don't get it. Enough of Jesus. Okay. I'm, I'm not trying to hold it under your head. Fine. But friends talk about friends about what's going on in their life. And Jesus is going on in my life. And I don't categorize what well, this is evangelism. I only got about 20 some verses for that. And this is discipleship, and I got a bunch of verses for that. And that not just quote these verses. <laughs> We're not cheap salesmen in a cheap suit offering cheap grace. I'm talking about the most important relationship of my life next to Karm. That's Jesus. And we, we talk about what's important to us. And this training does, out of all the stuff I've been around and seen, heard about, and pursued, I've never seen anything better. I've, I've just never seen anything better. I'm not saying that's a cobra for 50 bucks. You'll get the information, and you'll get it thorough, thoroughly. You want to get your own materials, you have to, to go. Thank you. We're going to do this as a congregation, and we're going to start disseminating that in these small groups. We've got, we've got quite a few that are working. We're going to add a bunch in the weeks to come. We're going to add a bunch. Say yes, Pastor. Say yes, Pastor. We're going to add a bunch in the weeks to come. And we're going to disseminate this kind of information, good soil evangelism. We're going to get into other issues. I'm never going to stop preaching. Whoever comes pastors, we're not going to diminish the power of the pulpit. We're not going to minimize pulpit preaching. But I'm thoroughly convinced you can't disciple well with just preaching. The scriptures are clear that from time to time, Jesus would take the twelve and he would talk to just them. And sometimes he would take just three and talk to one. Something happens when we break away from the congregational crowd, the missional level. We're, we're on a job here. Let's get this job done. We're, we're, we're all 12 of us. No, it's just three of us. And next week, it's just me alone with God. And you need to be engaged in all of five levels. Of discipleship. So, 